Hey everyone, Dave Broadback here. This is the uh, audio for a lecture uh, in Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate Statistics. It used to be called Design and Analysis 1, but we didn't think that name was scary enough. Also check out the uh, YouTube uh, videos of uh, these uh, lectures. I guess I've now just committed myself to doing the YouTube videos. Anyway, check out my YouTube channel and you can find them there. Or also at my blog, peopleatuc.ca. This was a triumph. If you like statistics, oh, you're going to love I'm this. I'm making a note here. Okay, so today I want to talk about sort of, I guess a way to put it is sort of grand themes or, and if you know the final exam here, we've got a sort of, let's call it an essay question. It's like the sort of standard kinds of essay type questions you've got in the test before, so it's nothing to be too freaked out about. Um, and what it is, if, if for those that, that essay thing, if you pay attention to these themes, I think it'll it's it's an important um, it'll help you. So the first thing I think, the first one I could come up with when I went through this, and I'm willing to entertain other ideas by the way, is that we make assumptions that it's always the case when we when I have introduced a statistical technique when we've talked about one whatever, that we make certain assumptions. Some are more important than others. So we assume things like a random sample. And we just violate the shit out of that. But it doesn't matter. Uh, the math behind all this allows us, because we say random sample, we can then say, oh, we can use the central limit theorem. Right? So that's one assumption that while we violate it, and we know we can violate it because of simulations people have done. So it's not a problem. Um, you, and you can violate it very severely. No problem. We have other assumptions like um, <coughs> that the scores are normal in the population, which we can violate. Because of the central limit theorem, it allows us to violate that because we're really just dealing with samples. And again, through simulation work that a lot of people have done in the early part of last century, uh, we know that that's okay to violate. You can actually use a binary uh, variable, with zeros and ones, and it works just fine. And then homogeneity of variance, which we can kind of violate, right? We know that you can violate that to a point. So, and remember the rule of thumb is what? About four to one. So if one variance in, say, ANOVA is what, four times bigger than another, like one group, another group, then you maybe you might trans transform your data, something like that. But then there's assumptions that we cannot violate. We cannot violate independent observations. Because the independent thing that, when you think of the math that's behind it, it's about what's the probability of getting a score. We don't want to have to take into account all the other scores. That's why we can't violate that. Okay? So some assumptions, and, oh, errors always normally distributed with a mean of zero, right? It would be almost impossible to violate that assumption because what's left over after you take everything out, the mean's going to be zero because you've taken out, say, the grand mean, right? So that you, you really can't violate that anyway. So that's not a big deal. So I think that's the first thing that we make a lot of assumptions and they allow us to do the math but some aren't really that important. 
The second one that I was thinking of was that we have models that we are trying to use. So let's go for a very simple model. The first one we talked about, x equals mu plus tau plus epsilon. The plain old vanilla, I don't know why people think vanilla is bad and plain, but we'll use that term. Um, analysis of variance, right? Let's think of straightforward linear regression. Hmm. First of all, assumptions fall out of those models. That's one thing. We talked about homogeneity of variance a second ago. That falls out of the model, those, both those models. Error is normally distributed with the mean of zero. It falls out of both those models. That's great. Look at those models for a second. These two things are the same. The intercept and the grand mean are basically the same thing. When x equals 0, everybody starts with a certain score, a, the intercept. When we don't care about treatment effects at all, even if treatment effects were 0, everybody gets a score. That's the grand mean. You know what? Those seem to be computationally almost the same thing. Wait, what about, oh, deviations from? The effect. Oh, deviations from the prediction. Oh, they're the same thing. You may have noticed when you were looking at outputs from SPSS from ANOVA that it actually says intercept and model. That's because it's actually doing it using regression. Did we talk about type three sums of squares? Type and, it, and how type threes are equal to type ones. Type 3 sums of squares, in fact, are, done, are calculated using matrix algebra. And in fact, that's what's used to do the analysis of variance in SPSS. It's actually doing a regression and then changing the language it's in. They are exceedingly similar things. Okay. Yeah, there are differences between the two key models. We've talked about the analysis of variance model and the regression model. The biggest one probably is that we have, we can talk about interactions in analysis of variance. We can't really do that with regression. And we can talk about things that aren't linear, so they aren't straight lines. We have no problem doing that in analysis of variance. We can't, we can't use what's called linear regression analysis in, in regression. We can use regression, we just fit a different curve instead of a straight one. We fit maybe, I don't know, parabola or something. So we can do that. But still, they're pretty similar. The only other thing, I guess, is categorical data, which is easy to do here. It's harder to do with regression. It's not impossible. We talked on Tuesday about dummy coding. Now, it's possible. It's just it's annoying to do. And eventually, the amount of variables you have really grows. Right? But it can be done. It can be done. So there are differences between analysis of variance and regression. They both have these models. They both make assum certain assumptions. And they both, in many respects, have a lot of, but there's also are differences, right? There's no interactions here. Uh, we can't use nonlinear things here, et cetera. OK, the third one I was thinking of 
was randomness. Now, I know I said, well, let's go back a bit even. Uh, randomly assigning subjects to groups, you've learned about that, you learned about that in research methods in 2127 and the importance of that. Right. So randomness is important in that, in design, but that's not really our concern in this class. <laughs> our concern is statistically. But randomness, the idea that variables can change randomly, in fact, is one of the bases of how we do statistics. We make this assumption of a random sample, which isn't always true, in fact, it hardly ever is, but it allows us to then say something about a variable in a population because we assume we have a random sample. And again, we can violate that, so it's not a huge deal. But because we say that, that things are random, we can then use the central limit theorem and develop inferential techniques that allow us to make statements about the world. What's your question? She just need a clarification on when you just said how we say something about the population. Ah. Okay. You always ask me. Um, we're not paying Jenna. <laughs> or are we? Or are we? That's right. <laughs> or are we? Dun 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 dun. I had some sound effects loaded up here. Mm -hmm. Hello. Okay. And this kind of leads me into something that I think you're going to probably balk at, as people say. But, well, at first it's going to sound fine. Then you're going to think it's, uh, that I'm a little crazy. First of all, we make predictions. Well, in regression, we are making a prediction equation. We're saying predicted y equals. Um, so that's obvious. And in regression, we make predictions. And also, variance would necessarily make predictions. We say there's an effect here, no effect there. However, in a larger sense, we make predictions about the world, and they are probabilistic statements. They are probabilistic statements. So we say, for example, that there is an effect of variable A. Right? That A1 is bigger than A2. Or that all the A, you know, A1 and A2 and A3 aren't equal. We say that. But we, say, we make that statement with the likelihood that we're wrong attached to it. When we say, for example, that there is a 5% chance that we're wrong, that we've made a type one error, right? We think the world works like this. We might be wrong, but I'll tell you how likely it is that we're wrong. How often in your life are you able to say something, make an estimate, and say how likely you are to be wrong and be able to put a number to it? Well, there are, are obviously silly ideas, like I could say, I'm a woman, I can tell you that's just wrong, and it's 100% wrong, or I can tell you my name was Steve, the probability of that being correct is zero. The 
but that my name is David Richard Broadbeck is correct, and I can tell you there's a 100% chance that's true. The idea that you should probably wear pants when you go out of the house, this is pretty much 100% true. On the other hand, when we make statements about how the universe works, which is what we do in science, we are able to say how likely it is what we say is wrong. And we can do that without knowing anything about a population. We don't have to know about the population parameters. We don't have to know mu. We don't have to know sigma. All we have to do is say, we've done good experimental design. We've collected the data. Here's how the universe works under these conditions. And it's because of inferential statistics that we can do that. And that's just really cool. And I, I really honestly think that's neat. There are very few other times in your life where you can say for sure, or sorry, you can put a percentage of how likely you are to be wrong on something. When you're sitting in an English class and your prof says that blah, 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 this, the author, symbol, the work here, this symbolizes something. And how many times did you sit there in school and say to yourself, what if he didn't mean that? Right? Now, there are times when that's true. It's clear in certain books that you read. You read uh, Business by Robertson Davies, and there's a character named Libby Doe. Gee, I wonder what you're doing there, buddy. And Gloria Mundi. Like, there's, there's so obviously sledgehammer symbolism, you know what's being done there. But on the other hand, what if there are times where you go, I, I can't know that you're, what you're saying is, maybe it's true, unless the author's here, he or she can't say, I did this. On the other hand, in science, we can actually say how likely what we said is wrong. And that's really cool. And one of the reasons I, I like this stuff so much is teaching people that that's a, that's, Something is really, I find it empowering. It's so rare when we can actually know how likely something we say is wrong. So I just think that's cool. Questions? Because I think those are the big themes in everything. Please go ahead. Back to assumptions. Yes. Um, I I understand that we can violate um, some assumptions. Yes. But I don't understand why we're able to do that. Uh, we can do it because I mean I can give you a, a circular answer, answer which is because the, the the statistics themselves are very robust to violations of those. But that just is saying we can violate them. Oh, we can violate assumptions because they're robust. But that just means. Robustness just means how likely, how well a statistic hands up to violations, so it's, it's not a good answer. Um, the math behind, say, using a simple random sample okay. uh, allows us to use the central limit theorem, right? Because that's about a simple random sample. That said, we can happily note that the universe behaves in a way that is, see, it's really hard to. Basically, if, if something isn't predetermined, it's closer to random than if something is predetermined. When I say predetermined, I mean that 
we know exactly what the, 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 the that it sort of certainly isn't random. So if something isn't predetermined, so if we have intro psych students signing up for an experiment, that's way closer to random than it is to being predetermined. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's the best way to put it. Whereas the independence, as I said, we can't violate that because there's nowhere here in any of the models, for example, that say, oh, uh, except if it's the third subject and it's a Tuesday and they were looking at someone else's paper. <laughs> it doesn't say that anyway there. Right? And that would then violate randomness to the point where it would become predetermined if I know someone else's score. Okay. Yeah. So it's about really the predetermination of things, I guess. Yeah. I, I was pretty good the way I pulled that out of my ass there. <laughs> I just don't understand why you can find no, some it's a good perceptions question. and it's, not others. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, but one of them makes randomness impossible, and all these other things are closer to randomness than predeterminedness. That wasn't a word. <laughs> well, that's fine. Yeah, well, other questions? There's something I want you to, to, to think about. At the beginning of the year in, well, yeah, I guess it was technically the beginning of the year. The beginning of the term uh, in January, I told you how hard this course would be. I told you that this would be, is the hardest course in our program, and it is the hardest course in our program. And this kind of course is the hardest course in every psychology program everywhere. I also told you you'd get through it. And you did. And you guys are in pretty good shape. You really are. Before, by the way, before you ask me what, how you're doing in the final, going into the final, figure it out for yourself. Try that. Arithmetic. It's a skill. Um, it's on the syllabus. I will tell you, but try to figure it out. It's just a weighted average. You can do it. If you can do crap like this, you can do a weighted average. Okay? I know you can. But I will tell you. But just try it for the hell of it first, okay? So, um, I, one of the things I love about teaching this class, and I probably like teaching this more than any other class I teach, and that's partly because at the beginning of the term, I, while I don't try to scare you, most of you are pretty scared. I've told you that it's difficult, you've heard it's difficult. And I don't want to scare you, but I want you to take it seriously, which is why I give you that little speech at the beginning about how hard this is going to be. But then showing people that something that is difficult conceptually can be done with hard work and with perhaps someone who knows what they're doing kind of helping you, that's me. Um, it's, uh, and this may sound silly, but it, it, it's true, it's exceedingly rewarding for me. It's not just that it pays my mortgage. Uh, it's also rewarding in that it feels great for me to see how you guys progress and how you can learn this stuff. And think about how at the beginning of the term, you probably were a little scared. Also, we started talking about stuff and you're like, what? If I had shown you some of these things, even that, at the beginning of the term, you would probably go, I don't know, it's Greek letters. Why are the Greek letters? And now it's like, oh yeah, there's that thing. So it's also, it, so really it's just about me. Uh, it feels great. <laughs> um, but I just want to tell you that uh, every year I feel this way and I will until my career ends. And that's that it's just been a pleasure to teach you guys and a real honor and thank you. I'm making
huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction at Betcher Science. We do what we must because we can. For the good of all of us, except the ones who are dead. But there's no sense crying over every mistake. You just keep on trying till you run out of cake. And the science gets done, and you make a neat gun for the people who are still alive. Thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures at Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh uh, um, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, 
buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>